ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Every day, you make thousands of decisions. Ooh, a text. Should I check that now? Some of these are big, some of these are small, some you might not even be aware of. Mm, Let's check it now. And I'm not saying thousands as a general number. There's research that suggests we make around 35,000 decisions each day. I need to go for a run, but it's so warm in bed. Forget it, I'll do it tomorrow. So if you have a goal you're working towards, you know how easy it is to be thwarted or sidetracked. I brought cake. I am trying to eat healthier. Oh well, who could resist? So a choice point is a moment, a moment when a potential behaviour conflicts with a core value. So in this moment, you have to make a choice which can lead you closer to your dream goal or further away from it. This is psychologist Dr Jonathan Rhodes, who works with professional athletes, business executives and even members of the British military. And he's the co-author of a book called The Choice Point. What we look at really around choice points is we, we think we have roughly 60 to 80 core choice points a day that really define who we are. So immersed in all the noise, we have these key opportunities. So how do you bust through those choice points and make the decisions you really want to be making? Well, Jonathan's work and research focuses on something called functional imagery training, or FIT, which involves imagining your goal and all the steps and barriers leading up to it in a huge amount of detail. FIT is really deeply rooted in in the addiction research, and it really emerged as a powerful method of transforming more addictive behaviours. So the aim is to try and divert thinking to a goal, which is really more positive and more purpose-driven. So the more you can immerse yourself and elaborate in detail, you're more likely to get to your goal. Now, if you listen to our previous episode, part one of our two-parter on performance psychology, you'll know we focused on the kind of mindset it takes to be number one in a sport. If you don't believe that you can dictate the course of your life, it's impossible to do great or amazing things. The only way you do incredible things, you have ownership of that. It's an intense mindset. And fit is intense in its own way too. But this episode is less about being the absolute number one and more about doing better, whatever that means to you, in order to reach some kind of goal. So today, why imagining something in a huge amount of detail can make such a difference for achieving your goals? And how all of this is different to manifesting? I'm Sana Kadar. This is All in the Mind. So Jonathan had this one client, an athlete named Iris Schmidbauer. Iris Schmidbauer is a high diver. And she, she, I say high diver, usually off cliffs and also off like 20 metre platforms. A terrifying job, but impressive. And in 2016, she had a pretty bad accident. A failed dive that knocked her confidence. She was diving at an event and she landed uh, on her side. So if you can imagine kind of a, a high building and, and falling at height, you know, it's, it's kind of a similar thing where water, yeah, it does break your fall, but it's still very, very hard impact mm. when you fall from that height. And so she was significantly injured, um, concussed, etc. And of course, being being in that profession, there are lots of videos of, of this as well. So with Iris, you know, she, she was able to see the video and she could replay the video over and over again. And so what happens after an experience like that, 
often you stop doing it and you have an avoidance. You're fearful of, of obviously that, that occurring again. So Jonathan's task was to shift her thinking and attention away from the fall and towards a more positive vision. It's not an easy process. It takes a number of sessions. But Iris had a goal. Not only did she want to get back in the water, she wanted to be... Top 10 in the world was, was her goal at the time. I'll give you the spoiler. He was able to help her get there. Because that's not the entire point, the outcome. It's also the process. So let's zoom out of Iris's story for a moment and figure out how functional imagery training works exactly. And the first thing to know is your brain loves a random thought. Yeah, so spontaneous thoughts. I mean, all, all, all thoughts are relatively spontaneous. We can't overly control a spontaneous thought as it as it really comes in. And it's, it's fascinating, actually. We can see these thoughts. They're actually called thought worms as <laughs> they kind of emerge. We look at an fMRI scanner and we can see a, a thought, you know, ruminate within your brain and then it kind of uh, travels through the brain and wow. kind of vanishes as it comes to the surface. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah it's very cool. And I, I think of spontaneous thoughts. So if I give you an example of, of, of how I kind of interpret it within, within what we do. And I think of it like, like a big Amazon warehouse. So, um, and of course, there are other warehouses available. But <laughs> in a big Amazon warehouse where there are, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of thoughts going on inside these boxes every day. And until you pick up a box and you open the box and you look inside the box, you're unaware of this thought. And when you open the box, you look inside, you go, ah. Okay, that's a thought. And that thought is pizza. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> right. And then what does your brain do? Your brain, you start to think about this uh, stimulus, pizza. You probably talk to yourself, like you're thinking, hmm, what does pizza look like? How does it taste? If I pull it out of the box, is there like a cheesy string that goes with it? Is it, is it, is it hot? So the more detail you give to this thought, the more attention you give to this thought, the more likely you are to want a pizza. Until you close the box and you allow the box to go, and then, of course, what you do next is you pick up a new box and you go, right, what's the next box? And you go, oh, it's a holiday box. Let's have a look in the holiday box. I mean, where, where would you go on holiday if you, if, you, if you were to open your holiday box? Oh, my gosh. Box? Italy. <laughs> Straight away. <laughs> where, where about in Italy? Probably Tuscany. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, and what's the weather like? Oh, it's, it's warm and beautiful and the sun is glowing on my skin. Okay. <laughs> Who are you with? Uh, my partner, my son, hopefully my some of my closest girlfriends too. That'd be great. Good. Okay. So the important part here is what's happened to the pizza box. The pizza thought is gone and mm. it's been replaced. And that's what happens to all of our thoughts is that a spontaneous thought emerges, we give it attention, we open up the box and then it goes. And uh, what we try to do within imagery training in terms of our research, especially, is we train people to really allocate attention to the thoughts that they want. So we can replace the pizza box with the Tuscany box. because It's probably got a lot more meaning to you, a lot more emotional connection, and it's, it's a long-term goal. So that is the aim of FIT. But how that's actually achieved involves a few steps. And when Jonathan is working with a client, say an athlete, there are two things he's trying to figure out first. Their values and their ability to imagine. Because everyone's ability to imagine is very different. So let's start there with imagination. So we explore how your imagination works and we measure your imagination throughout as well. So are you right if I measure your imagination? 
Yeah, sure. <laughs> okay. Yeah, go for it. Okay. So we're 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 going for a we're going for a consistent example throughout. So we're going to go for an apple, right? So if I say an apple to you, in terms of visual imagery, what do you see in your mind's eye? I see a red apple that quickly gets a bite taken out of the side. <laughs> okay. And if you were to rate that red apple on a scale of let's say one to ten, one is I've got nothing in my mind's eye at all, and ten is it is vivid as the real thing. How would you rate it? Oh, gosh, that feels a bit hard. I, I mean, I think it's pretty vivid. So let's say, okay. I don't know, nine, eight. <laughs> perfect, perfect, perfect. Okay. And you said that you you took a bite out of it. So when you took a bite out of it, what did you hear? A crunch. Okay. And again, if you were to rate it from zero to, to 10, how, how vivid was it? Uh, let's Let's go with nine, I guess. Okay, okay, perfect. Okay. So if you were to then eat the apple... Mm-hmm. And uh, and obviously you're tasting it. What's uh, you know anything going on in your mouth in terms of taste? Ooh, um, I mean I can imagine the sweetness. Perfect. Okay, so I'm going to rattle through a few of these things. I, I, I won't measure everything. Okay. So if you're going to bring it to your nose and smell it and sniff it, what does it smell like? Oh, um, how do I describe that even? Um, <laughs> it smells juicy. That does that make any sense? Okay. At all? <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> I don't know. Perfect. Happily, perfect. <laughs> Um, so, so what we're doing here is we're we're exploring um, your senses through imagery, uh, and for some people, the reason why we do this is because for some people, and some listeners will think, oh, there's no way people can imagine like that. Mm. Like you've got a very vivid imagination, which is a really good thing, and also it can be a really bad thing as well. Okay, because it could cause you to overthink about things and to ruminate on ideas. And... Mm. So, for us, it's about vividness and controllability. And is this something people can do on their own as well if they want to? sort of test this out yeah, yeah absolutely yes yeah. lots of questionnaires that people can do as the plymouth sensory imagination scale uh, which they could go and complete to measure your ability that questionnaire basically gets you to do what jonathan just had me do which is test your ability to imagine across the various senses so questions include things like imagine the appearance of a bonfire or the smell of freshly cut grass or the taste of a lemon or the sensation of kicking a ball. You give that all a rating and you get a sense of how vivid your imagination is with each of the senses. And Jonathan says the reason all of this is important anyways is that imagining something, especially in detail using as many senses as possible, elicits emotion. And emotion is the key to motivation and behaviour change. You know, whoever I'm working with, how do they imagine? Because we're going to talk about goals a lot and we're going to talk about values a lot and we're going to talk about things that maybe you want to change about your future self. So can I imagine that? Um, for people who have aphantasia, you know, they don't have any sort of visual representations in their mind that they can conjure up. I'm, I'm guessing this just wouldn't really work for them, right? So for aphantasia, it's really about visual. So we think about aphantasia based on a lack of visual imagery. Mm-hmm. So kind of is the answer. I, I want to say it would absolutely work for them. We, we have research that um, that is in peer review right now where we've worked with people with aphantasia. Right. What we tend to do is we focus on other senses. So for some people, you're right, like, you know, thinking about visu- enhancing visual imagery is impossible. You know, we, we have tried to, it's a non-starter for a very small percentage of the population, but doesn't mean that they still can't 
hear sounds doesn't mean that they can't feel emotion so for example it could be try to imagine christmas what would christmas be like where will you be well i can't see the tree i can't see who i'm with but i can hear the sounds Mm. and i can definitely feel the emotion yeah so we can increase imagery ability for people who have aphantasia but not necessarily a single sense that they struggle to use Now, if you feel like your imaginary abilities are just average, not amazing, not terrible, that can be trained as well. And that's part of the work Jonathan does with clients. But he says that is also something you can try on your own. So one way to flex your visual imagination is to get a photograph of somewhere you want to visit and spend some time thinking about why you want to go there and what it would be like to be there. Then... Close your eyes and imagine you're actually in the photograph and you're looking back at the photographer and try to imagine what their backdrop would be like. That kind of exercise can help nudge you towards imagining more vividly. Okay, that covers off imaginary abilities, which is just one of the two things I mentioned Jonathan assesses first. So from that point on, we then go on to values. So values are what are your inner kind of driven values and how do you um, how do you live by them? So, for example, if your value is, uh, for me, it's health is one of my core values. So if my value is health, but I'm not healthy, mm-hmm. I probably feel guilty at some point. Mm-hmm. So if I don't go for a run, you know, perhaps not every day, but you know, if I don't go for a run often, I'll probably feel guilty. So again, you know, that feeling is a good indication of uh, what my value could be if I'm out of sync. Maybe that's something which, which you know, you need to try and shift based on your values to your behaviours. The point of figuring out your core values is that you need your goal to be aligned with this so that you're committed and it's easier, in a sense, to achieve. You can try and figure this out yourself as well, just by reflecting on what you think your top five values are. So things like achievement, compassion, safety, humility, flexibility, adventure, excitement, honesty, family, romance, tradition, wealth, health, friendship, all of these things and more are possible values. Values is like your inner compass, what drives you Mm -hmm. and keeps your direction going straight towards your goal. So we have to go through that order to be able to understand the individual's core values, to then be able to understand how their mind works and then consequently how their behaviours operate as well. Then, once he has a sense of a client's values and it's clear that their goal is rooted in their values, it's time to start imagining about the goal. There are two things that we do here. And the first thing really is we we explore your long-term goal in in a huge amount of multi-sensory detail. So quite often with clients we'll say, what's your big goal? And they may say, my huge goal is to write a book. Okay, um, where will you be when you finish this book? Um, I will be sat in a bookshop. Okay, who might read it? What might they say to you? What are the conversations that are going to be going on? Like, how do you feel to have these conversations with people? So Mm. we immerse them in in that experience. Now, of course, doing that is great, but also we need to think about the negative side as well. And this is really the game changer for what we do in functional imagery training is that we go to the negative spot and we'll say, right, well, same day, same time, but this time you haven't achieved your goal. Mm. What's that like? And people would usually say, I feel really deflated. I feel like I'm a real, you know, I've let myself down. Well, what do you need to do? Well, what, what happened along the, along the way? Well, time management, priority shift, lots of things came up that, you know, I thought were in my control, but were actually out of my control. Well, okay. So these, these conversations that we have, that we get people to experience, again, using imagery, what we find is, is that we'll then say, is this the right goal for you? Is this goal important enough for you to start? Are you ready to start immediately? And often people will say, 
You know what? This girl is hugely important to me, but experiencing the negative alongside the positive, I'm actually more motivated to achieve this goal because I don't want to be in that negative self. So what they generally tend to do is they they make plans. They make plans that are more specific to achieving the goal because they don't want to be in that negative self. Uh, and and we, we kind of work backwards along a timeline and we go, right, well, what, what obstacles will come up? Like, what's the reality of life that will, mm-hmm. uh, will occur? And usually it'll be things like, well, it could be childcare. Right. It could be just the need to have you know, immediate food sometimes where I can't really prepare for things that may not be healthy. Okay, well, that's fine. That's, you know, that's the reality of life. You know, what can you do to try and overcome that? Functional imagery training also involves selecting cues that can activate your imagery around these sorts of things. And Jonathan uses an acronym to help with this, which is LAP, L-A-P. Stands for locate your cue. The A is activate your imagery and the P is perform. So how does that all work together? So, for example, for me, the the majority of choice points happen in the morning. So do I snooze my alarm or do I get out of bed and go for a run? (laughs) Right. So that that kind of is a key choice point where for me, my value is health and being active and staying fit. But I've also got this choice to make. And then... You go, right, I'm going to do my lap. My lap is locate my cue. What's my cue? My cue is my feet on the floor. Okay, so I'm going to swing my legs around, put my feet on the floor, and then I activate my imagery. My imagery is my why, my big goal, whatever it could be that you might imagine in that multi-sensory, emotion-heavy detail. For me, it's definitely thinking about the shower afterwards beyond the run. Uh, And I kind of work backwards and think about you know, actually being on the run, being out in the fresh air and in nature. And that's really kind of another one of my values is, you know, being curious in nature and allowing my mind to wander. And then the P is the, what can I do? Perform. Do something which is going to help. It could be one small thing that will help you right now to achieve your long-term goal. It could just be, I'm going to go and uh, have a coffee to wake myself up. It could be, I'm going to have a, a glass of water. It could be, you know, for, for, for me, when I when I go through this process, it's often I'm going to put my running kit on and at least I've got it on and then I can, you know, carry on and do a few little things around the house before I go for my run. So anything which is going to get you closer towards your goal is what you would do and that kind mm. of P phase of performing. Um, I'd say nowadays, absolutely, I, I am uh, going out for the early morning run. And, and, and you know, for, for example, for me yesterday, yesterday was a choice point moment <laughs> with, my, with my little boy, you know, coming in nice and early and waking me up. But I've still got to go out for a run at some point. So, um, yeah, yeah, just fitting it in. (laughs) So is the essence of fit then sort of thinking through all the ways that you might be blocked from achieving your goal, all the choice points you'll hit along the way and how to get through those, imagining how to get through those, having a plan for getting through those? Is that the essence of it, you know, in terms of also making sure that goal aligns with your values? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I think that it's a nail on the head, really. I think that what, what we do really well is we enable people to perceive obstacles. And what about you may need to change and changing early and really having a plan around that as well. In some sense, it sounds really simple. Just have a goal, have a plan to reach it, you know, think through it and you're good to go. But <laughs> well, yeah. well it, is, it is simple because it is, you know, I think that people think that you need more tools. Right. But you have all the tools with you. I guess, given the amount of like detail required in the mental imagery you're talking about, the amount of time and you know tracking your values and your goals, it's it's pretty intensive. This process. Do you find the people who commit to it and go through with it are generally pretty motivated people already? Like, is there their personality inclination to like engage in this kind of thing? Because to me, 
to be honest, on first read, it sounds a bit exhausting. I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah. do I care enough about going for a run to do this level of thinking about it? So I, I, I completely agree with you. Yeah, I mean, so motivation plays a really key part in this whole process. So if you're more, more motivated towards your goal, you're more likely to stick with this whole fit process. Now, you know, historically, I've worked with a great deal of athletes and they're hugely motivated. So mm. it's an easy win. Yeah. But when I change tack and I work with someone who has been struggling with weight loss, for example, and now I'm working outside of my comfort zone of athletes and working with someone who's saying, I've tried everything, you know, I'm willing to give this a go. It's not going to work. Let's see how it pans out. Now, you're right. It, it is hard work. And I'm going to ask questions that are going to be exposed a bit of vulnerability. So I'm going to ask these questions that, that will reveal in, in great depth your why. So, you know, it, this isn't a type of therapy. This is just, this is, this is a type of coaching where right. what, we're, what we're doing is we're, we're not, we're not trying to go back in and, and examine, you know, childhood, et cetera. We're, mm-hmm. we're looking at what is your future, what does your future look like and what's holding you back? So fit sounds a bit like manifesting. Is it essentially, you know, a version of manifesting? I'm going to say kind of, but okay. absolutely not. Okay, <laughs> explain. <laughs> so, so, so manifesting quite often is 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 hugely visual. Individuals who who I've worked with who've done really well through using like manifesting, for example, will use multi-sensory imagery. Mm-hmm. But the important part for us is is really figuring out that intrinsic motivation and understanding the individual. Fit really takes into consideration negative factors as well like negative things that will come up you know life shifts in, in priorities mm-hmm. and also fit is really deeply rooted in the addiction research it's grounded in something called the elaborated intrusion theory what that means in a nutshell is that as you focus and give more detail on on whatever it could be on any part of attention so if it's you know any kind of craving the more detail you give that craving the more you desire it so the aim is to try and divert thinking to a goal which is really more positive and more purpose-driven. And in terms of the research, yeah, there, there, there is a, a huge body of research, everything from diabetes through to weight loss studies, which are you know clinical trials, yeah, through to addictive behaviours, cravings, through to you know within my area, it was more focused on sporting performance, well-being as well. So all these areas really overlap because we're able to support people to really focus on positive version of themselves. So yeah, I, I suppose it is similar, but again, the detail is really key. So how did all of this play out for Irish Schmidbauer, that cliff diver we mentioned at the beginning of the show? Remember, she had a really bad fall that knocked her confidence, but her goal was to get back in the water and become top 10 in the world. What we were able to do is literally through that process of using fit, is go through, you know, what would that goal be like? Uh, what's holding you back? And really back to right now, where you are in this room at the time, what do you need to change? And for that for that moment, it was, well, perhaps I need to stop watching the video. Mm. Maybe I need to, you know, stop thinking so much about diving. I need to think about, I need to redirect my thinking towards family, towards, you know, things that I really care about. They also realised they probably needed to change the image on her phone, which was a shot of her cliff diving, and it was functioning as the wrong kind of cue. And that triggered... Uh, imagery. Sometimes it would be positive-based imagery, but more so, to start off with, it was negative-based, you know, back to that that experience of, uh, and the impact that she would feel when she landed, and that's how she would imagine it. So again, changing the screensaver really diverts the attention Mm. to then that positive thought. So again, we have cues all around us, and really, that's where we start when we really think about how people are going to use 
functional imagery training. We do all this hard work with clients. And really what they're left with is they're left with this, this, this approach, which starts with finding the right cue for you. And consequently now she's uh, top 10 in the world. So she's uh, mm. yeah been able to go on and achieve that goal. Now, what I what also say on this is that if, if people do experience trauma, there are other methods, you know, like, you know, uh, EMDR that are more beneficial. We have very limited research at the moment in trauma uh, within FIT. But what we do with FIT is, is it's really focused on a positive, dreamy-based goal, a challenging goal. So that's the key thing for us. It's a very it's a positive method of psychology. And just on your work with athletes, can you talk a bit more about what are some of the common obstacles they face? What parts of this do they struggle with generally? <laughs> Sure. So for athletes, it's mostly around consistency. So the reason why we use fit mostly athletes because they're, they're, they're hugely motivated, but what happens quite often is they're, they're inconsistent with performances. So they'll say, you know, yeah, I've kind of won this event, but haven't been able to replicate it again. Okay, so let's look at more of a performance-based routine. And this performance-based routine for us using fit is really, again, similarly, we come up with, you know, a, yes, we can explore the, you know, standing on the podium, the medal around your neck, the hearing of the national anthem. Wow, it's inspiring. <laughs> but what happens if you're not there? What happens if you get, you know, you get knocked out early in the competition? What happens if you've got to watch from afar? What happens if you don't, if you don't even make it? Mm. Like, you know, all these things that we explore for athletes. Now, now, also athletes, you know, as we've just said, some athletes are absolutely hugely motivated some of them aren't. Some of them are just committed. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not really motivated to train today. Another, another, you know, track session, another swim session. It, it can be mundane. Um, and, you know, when you're committed, you go, okay, yes, it can be mundane. Yes, you're right, but I'm in. I'm, uh, and that's part of, you know, where I am. But it could also be, you know, thinking about planning for time off as well. You know, thinking about ensuring that athletes are not overtraining. And, you know, really for us, it's about planning all these things into their kind of training schedule again we're using imagery throughout to allow people to really have ownership on how they direct their performance but also how they control their well-being as well is there a transformation you've seen that most sticks in your memory uh so i i would, I would say iris is probably the the the, the key person okay um i'd also say that we, there, there are a few at the minute there's um so at the minute I'm working with Karenza uh, Bryson, who's, who's a pentathlete, who's a fantastic uh, athlete, who's, yeah, similarly where she's been somewhat inconsistent and now has been hugely consistent this year within the, the, the World Cup circuit. Um, why is that? It's because she really focused in on how to use imagery effectively, but also how to manage that chatter. So when chatter starts in your head, it usually creates an image. Like what will it look like if this happens? So again, being able to think correctly under pressure um, using fit is a real key thing that we've been able to hone in on um, with that, in, in, you know, with that athlete in particular. Finally, what do you hope readers get out of this book? If there's one thing they take away from it, what do you hope that is? So I would say, for me, it's about using multi-sensory imagery. So if you can take one thing away from this book, it really is focused on, you know, not just assess your imagination ability, but also focus in on what is your experience going to be like when you achieve your goal? Immerse yourself, elaborate in that detail, and also, you know, be be vulnerable with yourself. Expose yourself to that negative um, future self as well. What would it be like if we didn't achieve the goal? Use multi-sensory imagery. Now that is the real game changer. Mm. If you can take one thing away from today, yeah, it's going to be immerse yourself in that elaborated multi-sensory imagery. 
That is psychologist Dr Jonathan Rhodes. He's an associate lecturer in the School of Psychology at the University of Plymouth, and he's the co-developer of functional imagery training, as well as the co-author of The Choice Point. Now, if you missed last week's episode, part one of this two-parter on performance psychology, go back and have a listen. We spoke to another psychologist, Dr. Stan Beecham, who works with top athletes in the US, and he's got a pretty different approach with his clients, one that's not based on a specific method, but one that's a lot more open-ended. What I'm trying to do with those people is understand that anxiety is not something that happens to you, it's actually something that you create. Just keep in mind that if, if something is happening to you, you don't really have a whole lot of choice, do you? But if you can see your situation is something that you unintentionally created, that's a very, very different process of what you do next. So you can find that episode on ABC Listen, on our website, or wherever else you get your podcasts. And that's it for All in the Mind this week. Thanks to producer Rose Kerr and sound engineer Anne-Marie de Betancourt. I'm Sana Kadar. Thank you for listening. I'll catch you next time. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.